Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why is chemsex in the news in Ireland and the UK? Trends generally begin in New York, make their way to London, and before long, Dublin and the rest of Ireland follow suit. These can be as benign as cupcakes, as lifestyle as music trends, or as powerful as massive financial earthquakes. Culture and subculture trends also travel these paths. London right now is known as the chemsex capital of the world. There have been news stories about the practice in which people take drugs to enhance sexual activity popping up in the UK for about five years. Very recently, Dispatches on Channel 4 together with BuzzFeed conducted a huge survey of users of one of the main drugs connected to chemsex, which is known as G. They asked questions of 2,700 gay men, the group most predominantly associated with chemsex and that drug G, and they found that almost half of the men had overdosed on the drug, and more than a quarter said they had been sexually assaulted while using it. Sometimes it's difficult to find the right balance when talking about substance use, so this conversation will be framed with this quote in mind from a user of G. The difficulty with chemsex is that there is a very fine line between having a great time and things going wrong. As I said, what happens in London generally tends to land in Ireland, and there has been a recent uptick in G's use here and the prevalence of hospitalizations as a result. It's a topic we need to start from scratch on to explain, so I'm delighted to have in studio the reporter who has been doing the most work on the topic in this country, and that's the journal.ie's Orla Ryan, along with Graeme Ryle, Treatment Services Coordinator of Rialto Community Drugs Team, and Dr. Kiran Santlal, Registrar in Psychiatry of Substance Misuse at the National Drugs Treatment Centre, both of whom are members of the Chemsex Working Group. Later, we'll be joined by Patrick Strudwick, LGBT editor with BuzzFeed. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Orla, I'm going to turn to you first with some basic questions, because this is something that not everyone will have knowledge of. What is chemsex? So chemsex is basically when people use illegal drugs for the purpose of enhancing sexual activity. And the most common drugs associated with chemsex are GHB, crystal meth, methadrone and ketamine. And slam sex is the term that's used when those drugs or some of those drugs are injected for a more intense high. Chemsex, as you've said, is more commonly associated with men who sex with men, but it is becoming more popular among other communities. And chemsex can involve sexual activity that goes on for days or sometimes hours. It may be between two people or there may be multiple partners. And one drug that keeps coming up in relation to chemsex is GHB. So GHB, it's sometimes shortened to G or GINA. It's used as an anesthetic and it comes in a clear liquid or powder form and its potency can vary widely. So it's very, very common for people to take too much and pass out or to overdose. And GBL is another form of it. Basically, it's sold as a substitute for GHB and it's found in cleaning solvents. And when people swallow it, it converts to GHB in a person's system. So it's very easy to get. It's very cheap. People can get a dose sometimes for as little as a euro or a few euro. And the effects begin about 20 minutes after you take it. You can start to feel euphoric, lose inhibitions. It enhances libido, hence why it's used um, in the middle of sexual activity. And it has a similar effect to MDMA, but people describe it as more intense. Orla, how common is the use of the drug and chemsex in Ireland now? Yeah, so it's hard to quantify how common chemsex is here, but we know that it's becoming more popular in the last few years, particularly with the advent of apps like Grindr. It's becoming easier for people to meet up and engage in sexual activity. 
experts have been warning for years that Ireland is following the same path as London and other parts of the UK in terms of chemsex. The most recent stats we have for Ireland are from 2016, where researchers surveyed over 500 men attending Ireland's only MSM-specific sexual health clinic over a six-week period. And of those over 500 men, one in four said they had engaged in chemsex in the previous 12 months, and half of those said they had taken two or more drugs during that experience. One in four men surveys said that chemsex was impacting negatively on their lives and almost a third said that they wanted help or support in relation to chemsex and trying to stop engaging in it. Graeme, when you talk about drug use and it's kind of something I alluded to in the intro, it often sounds like this is just straightforwardly bad, but there's obviously good in it and that's why people take it. So like you hear those stats and you're like, God, why would anyone go near this stuff? Mm. Um, Why do people go near this stuff? I think you have to look at the fact that it seems that G uh, and crystal meth uh, are confined to the LGBT plus community. And I think that that's a really interesting uh, aspect of it. Because and from working therapeutically with a number of people that, um, as you as have stated earlier on, that uh, these substances can uh, reduce your inhibitions, um, any issues around sociality, around internalized homophobia, um, issues around your own sexuality and just perhaps even growing up, realizing that you are gay and suddenly these substances you feel completely comfortable with who and what you are. So I think that's what adds that complication to it. And again, then with the loss of inhibition um, sexually, that this is for a lot of people what how they've wanted to feel for a long, long time. Um, and that's how they do feel initially. But as, as it continues, as their use will continue, that's when the problems start to happen. Is the addiction to the actual drug or is it to the feeling or is it to both? It's it could be to the drug. It could be to the sex. It could be to both. You know, it's different with different people. Like I did two sessions with people yesterday and certainly it's the drug would come before the sex. But the second individual met yesterday was the sex that comes before the drug. But then they both become detrimental to them. And how dangerous is the actual drug? Is it as dangerous for each person or does it depend on their reaction to it? Or uh, The effects usually differ from uh, individual to individual. And um, we're talking about uh, G here. Um, in terms of G, you do have um, a number of different scenarios where it could be quite dangerous. Um, the main three would be in an overdose situation a dependence uh, situation and a a presentation of a withdrawal. What can happen is uh, people who use GHB or who consume it would also um, typically consume uh, multiple other substances like crystal meth, uh, cocaine, crack cocaine, um, ketamine. And then these would have uh, an interaction with each other and they may cause some complications. And do you see this in hospitalizations? Is that something that people are, are we're starting to see in Ireland? Yeah, uh, in the emergency departments, uh, they've seen more of an overdose presentation where someone could, it, it is quite easy to overdose on GHB. And that's because the strengths can vary from batch to batch. Um, it can be diluted with water if it's being sold to someone. Um, so you don't know what the concentration is. And the dose measured is in very small quantities. So one milliliter can give you a euphoric kind of feeling. 1.5 milliliters can cause you to sleep. And two milliliters would be an overdose where you 
go under or pass out, lose consciousness for about two or three hours. How much information is out there in the community? Like if how easy is it to access this drug? And, you know, I'm, I'm wary. So say it's when it's festival season, the idea is that we're meant to be giving people information about drugs at festivals. So is this drug easy to get in the community and how much information is given when when people buy it? G itself is incredibly easy to get in the community. Um, it's very, very easy to order a litre, uh, which will cost in and around 100, 120 euros um, from a number of stockists across Europe, across the UK. Um, when that arrives, which will be within two to three days, um, that thousand millilitres you have, you can turn that into a thousand euros. Even though you've bought the litre for in and around 100 euros, if you were selling that on at a euro a mil, well, there's a thousand euros. Right. And like people will joke to me, like prior to say long weekends, because there's an extra day off for people or uh, festivals that oh, they're going to be busy, you know, in the stockists across Europe. So it is very, very easy to get. Orla, what are the figures around overdosing um, on G in Ireland at the moment? Um, there are, we don't have um, statistics uh, so, so far for 2019, but from um, 2016 to 2018, there are at least 29 um, G overdoses. But that figure comes with a big caveat. Um, as Kieran mentioned, um, most overdose patients, um, they present in emergency departments and those are figures that we can't get. So the 29 figure relates to day patients and inpatients in hospitals, but the vast majority of overdoses would present in emergency departments so there's there's a huge gap there in in terms of knowledge um so the 29 figure may also include some people who were admitted to hospital um more than once after overdosing so it refers to 29 overdoses not necessarily 29 people um essentially we don't know how many people have overdosed but it's likely to be a lot higher than 29 if we look at the stats for 2016 it was seven it was eight in 2017 and it was 14 last year but that's likely to be a gross underestimation is there an issue with people maybe not presenting because it is an illegal substance, because there is stigma around it? Sometimes there's uh, an issue with um, the fact that sometimes when people overdose and they uh, lose consciousness, they can recover um, after about one to three hours. And so the people around them may just leave them um, to recover and to regain consciousness then. Um, and that in itself is quite dangerous because they can go further into an overdose and actually end up in a coma as well. Is that because of the vacuum of information that the, the people who use it might not know everything they should know about the drug? Yes, I believe so. Um, but there is uh, quite, a, quite a bit of information on the drugs.ie website, um, which has a whole page on GHB and, um, and what to do if someone overdoses or what the help that they can receive. And like... If people are in the middle of a party, people are going to be under the influence. So not thinking straight. Like it's always advised that at least one person at a party is almost like the safe person, that they're not too out of it, if at all possible, that they kind of mind people. But like if someone is physically addicted to G, which means they have got to take a shot of G every one and a half to two hours, that and that goes on throughout the whole day and night that they're not getting proper sleep. So if they're, say, partying for hours and hours of a weekend and they go, all right, I'm going to go under now, they will purposely put themselves a little half a mil or a mil extra so they will go under. And that will be them getting some sleep. That's how it's viewed. 
and that's where people are at risk. And like one of the signs is like uh, almost like if a person's under and they're getting into difficulty is that they start snoring and people may think that, oh, they're OK, they're snoring, they're asleep. Right. But that's actually a dangerous sign for someone. You mentioned parties there. So if someone is addicted to this, is it just for that party zone or is it when they're going to work, they need to continue to take it? Where does the addiction continue? Where, or where does it G stop? is an incredibly addictive substance um, and a person when they are physically addicted to it. And that can happen quite quickly. If someone parties for three, four days, dependency may come from that uh, episode of partying. It's very addictive and a person then has to take some G every 60 to 120 minutes and that's throughout the day. And that's where the detox this comes is, in. Yeah, um, but th this was also the second uh, danger of G that I was talking about before. Um, what would happen is they may use it for the weekend or for the long weekend and then start to feel some withdrawals during the week. And so they, they, may, they may say, OK, I'll just take a shot of G to alleviate those withdrawals, to alleviate the anxiety or the tremors that they might be experiencing. So that's not about sex then? That's about something different? That's about um, that's about moving from the sex party scene or from the party scene to actually using it to alleviate any come downs or any withdrawals that they might be feeling afterwards. Um, so then that's when it goes into the week and that, that'll be the working week. So they might take it on a Monday or a Friday um, before the weekend and after the weekend and then you um, take it on Tuesday and Thursday and then before they know it, they'll be taking it every day. Um, when somebody becomes completely dependent on it, uh, it's when they, as Graham was saying, it's when they start using it every one to two hours or around the clock as we would term it. Um, and this is when uh, it's quite dangerous to actually stop using it cold turkey or to just suddenly stop because the withdrawals from that can progress very, very quickly from in the space of uh, two hours or so, um, from mild uh, withdrawal symptoms to actually quite severe withdrawal symptoms. What would they look like? What? So mild or initial withdrawal symptoms would be anxiety, tremors, um, very poor sleep. Uh, and then they may progress on it. So the person who's experiencing it might uh, experience hallucinations, paranoia, paranoid ideation. And then if it's left untreated or if it's inad inadequately treated, um, then it can progress into seizures and muscle breakdown, at which point they'd have to be transferred to the intensive care unit. Have we seen deaths because of this drug in Ireland? It's very difficult to determine whether G would be is implicated in um, in deaths or whether it's the sole cause of death. And, th and that's for a number of reasons. Um, so G or GHB, when it's uh, ingested, it's actually broken down into carbon dioxide and water. So there's no metabolite to test for it. And uh, it's extremely difficult to test for it. Uh, you'd need very specialized equipment. I think Forensic Science, uh, Science Ireland um, has that. Uh, so you can't really use a regular urine drug screen test if somebody has overdosed to check and see. Also, an overdose presentation with G is very much like an opioid um, overdose presentation and there's no actual antidote for it. So say if someone um, had overdosed on an opiate or heroin, you give them naloxone and they'd wake up after a few minutes. Uh, if someone overdosed on G, the only treatment that you can give is medical supportive um, management. Make sure the airways are open, make sure that they're breathing properly, they're getting enough oxygen, monitor their heart rate. 
and uh, just keep them medically stable. Um, what does the detox process, so if you have if you have someone coming to see you to actually detox their around the clock user, how do you start that process of, of detoxing them? So what we do, once we get a referral in the club drugs clinic, uh, we would contact the person who's referred on the day and try to arrange an appointment within a few days of that. So it's usually within a week that we start the actual detox. Um, during that time, we'd, uh, we'd sit down with them, have a chat, do a full assessment, um, see exactly how much, that, how much they're using. And then we normally start a detox, the detox program, um, on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And that's because they'd be on quite high doses of medications that by the weekend time, we want them to be on a relatively stable dose of the medication so that they can manage by themselves. On the first day, we'd bring them in from nine until about four and monitor them throughout the day while we give them um, the medication to help them to detox. Um, We'd normally ask them to have their last dose of G at least two hours before their detox program. And that's in order to make sure that they're being treated adequately for any withdrawal symptoms that that they might be experiencing. You guys are part of the Chemsex Working Group. When did you realize that that was something that was necessary for Ireland to have? Yeah, I'd say <laughs> it, uh, it all kind of came to head with um, the National Outbreak Strategy back in 2015. And the Chemsex Working Group was actually developed um, in response to that. So the National Outbreak Strategy, um, it highlighted the increase in the number of new cases of HIV and said, and there is a line in that strategy that said that um, chemsex and the harms associated with chemsex and the, dr- and the drugs used in chemsex needed to be addressed. So the chemsex working group, it's a, it's a multi-sectoral um, collaboration of governmental and non-governmental agencies um, that was d- created to address those harms. So was it something that we were quite timely to in a way? Is it something that we've we've looked and actually been prepared for talking about those trends coming from. I think that we all literally organically came together because we were all kind of bouncing off one or through meetings or whatever, through conferences. And that's, I think, where it kind of grew from as well organically. That There was no point in me just dressing, say, the addiction part of it, while others say we're working with the sexual health part. And then Kieran and Trinity Coat was working with the treatment part. It was only ever going to really work if we were all coming together. So that's where I came from. So people were presenting to you all separately for yes. some people saw it as a sexual health thing. Some people saw it as an addiction thing. Yeah. And you guys kind of had to piece together that it's actually a little bit of everything. Is that yes. the yeah. correct reason? So there was no point like this, me sending someone over to the uh, sexual health clinic in Baggett Street or in James's hospital. I'm not informing them, well, listen, addiction is part of the issue here. And then just treating, say, doing a STI check or HIV test or whatever, and then just sending them back to me. That was, you know, you're not uh, fully addressing the issue there. So to me, that's how it came about anyway. And this is actually one of the big things that um, was happening in London as well. When G G presentations uh, was on the rise there, um, the psychiatric departments were saying, nope, this is a sex thing. Go to the guide clinic, the guide um, departments were saying, no, nope, uh, you're dependent on substances, you need to go to the addictions side of things. And so the Club Drugs Clinic uh, formed in a way to integrate all of these departments together and to actually address the whole issue of chemsex competently. 
And sort of like what was really interesting as well at the time was that a lot of the individuals in, involved did not see themselves as having a drug problem, an addiction problem, because they're not injecting heroin or they're not smoking crack cocaine. Well, I'm not scored on a street corner or anything like that. You know, I'm fully functioning. I'm third level educated. I'm have a good job. They did not see themselves as, as, as addicts. And yet they could be taking anything from two to seven substances of a weekend. It's just the dynamic of this drug that's taken over my life. That's it's that's the problem. I don't have an addiction. Is it has it been or is it very normalized in the community that, that it's predominantly used in? Drugs are normalized overall, in my opinion. And like to go back to one of your earlier questions, like drugs are so accessible at the moment. There's such a wide range of drugs available today and probably never been as cheaper. Um, so there is a complete normalization of drugs um, right across the board, I think. And not just that, but we also have a generation now that can be quite defensive about their right to use chems and would say, OK, well, we're using it. I'm still functioning and I'm doing quite well. Why can't I just use it recreationally and go about my day afterwards? Um, and so uh, there's also a different terminology, which leads to a different psychology in terms of using substances. One of the things that we have been talking about, the trends coming, something that's happening in the UK is talk around sexual assault and consent issues with the use of G. Is that something that's also being talked about in an Ireland context? Yeah, it is. So passing out or going under, as it's called, is very, very common when ta- when people take G. As, we, as we've discussed, the potency can vary hugely. So someone can easily take too much. The quote unquote right amount for someone is way too much for somebody else. Um, there's also an issue with spiking. So someone may unwittingly be given G either through a drink or in some cases lube. So they take G without having wanted to take any G or take more G than they wanted to take. Um, the dispatches and BuzzFeed documentary that we've mentioned, um, the survey that they did that they conducted on 2000. 1,700 men living in the UK found that almost half of those had overdosed in G, one in four said they had been sexually assaulted and four in five said they knew someone else who had been sexually assaulted. So we don't have the same kind of stats in Ireland, but it is an issue and it seems from speaking to experts here, it seems like the issue is coming up more and more in counselling sessions. People are using words like consent, sexual assault and in some cases rape. So the conversation is happening here, but we don't have stats. Is that what you're seeing in your clinics as well? Yeah. Like these are words, say, four and a half, five years ago when we started working on this, that just weren't used. Um, Like even the terminology, chems rather than drugs, GT rather than GHB and crystal meth, um, slamming rather than injecting. So there's almost like this subtle kind of glossing over of things. But certainly as time has gone on and people are getting more of a realisation of what they have been part of, because like every drug or every environment that it's sold to you is this great, great thing. And initially it is, but it's only later on as one gets further, deeper into it, that it gets darker and darker. And when they are sitting down talking with someone, that they're getting a far better understanding of it. And that can be actually quite difficult. But certainly from my experience that these are now conversations I'm regularly having. We've been talking a lot about the trends in the UK and specifically in London. And on the line is Patrick Strudwick, LGBT editor with BuzzFeed, who has been doing a huge amount of work and reporting on the topic in the UK. Um, Patrick, what? how big is the issue in the UK versus what we've been seeing here in Ireland? I think it's quite hard to capture 
the ultimate numbers of of users of particularly GHB. Um, certainly, um, what you have is sort of clusters, clusters within particular communities, within particular age groups, um, in particular and in, in particular areas. Um, but I, I'd say it's sort of broad brush comment. Um, GHB is pretty commonly used, particularly among gay men, and it's very widely available. And um, there, there are a lot of people uh, overdosing. There are um, a lot of people experiencing sexual violence, and there are quite a few people dying. Um, there are all sorts of reasons, however, why the data on all of those things is very patchy. We're really aware covering this topic today on The Explainer and Orla has been um, covering chemsex for the journal um, over the past year or so, that there's a lot of challenges of covering it, um, particularly drug use in marginalised communities, not wanting to ostracise people. Graeme talks about, you know, having to be really careful when reaching out. What have you found to be the challenges of covering this as extensively as you have? Yeah, it's a a very difficult balance. And in both my um, reporting for BuzzFeed News over the last few years and in the documentary for Channel 4 Dispatches, um, which focuses particularly on GHB, um, it is always a challenge to balance... Um, identifying and conveying what is happening and the harm that's being done and the lives being ruined um, with trying not to stigmatise those who participate in, um, you know, different kinds of um, sex or sexual practices or drug use. You know, it is not my intention to... Uh, point the finger at people who are taking drugs as such or having any kind of sex. Instead, what I seek to do is to highlight where people are being harmed and to highlight that some people are perpetrating offences. You know, we cannot allow the fact that the gay community as a whole is discriminated against and stigmatised um, we cannot allow that to mask and gag us from pointing out that there are some people within our community who victimise other people within our community. So w- one of the things that, that really struck us from the survey that we conducted, which was the largest survey of its kind into gay men who take G, was the proportion of people who've been sexually assaulted. I mean, more than a quarter of gay men who have taken G have been sexually assaulted while under the influence of that drug. That is a huge number of people and a huge proportion of people. And so, yes, it is the case that that, um, gay people in general um, are discriminated against and stigmatised. And yes, sexual and drug practices are also in general stigmatised in a way that's not helpful. However, silence as Britain and Ireland knows to its cost is the perpetrator's best friend. If you remove silence, you remove perpetrators. So um, whatever concerns I might have about stigmatising people who take G, and I do not wish to do that, um, uh, above all, what matters is shouting about the fact that there is sexual violence going on um, and much of that is going unreported. 
many, if not most of the people um, who responded to the survey did not report it to the police, um, in part because men often and people often often don't report sexual violence but also in particular because they they were concerned that they themselves would be investigated for drug offenses because they had been sexually assaulted or raped um while under the influence of this drug just to go back to you orla um on something that we might associate with kind of more traditional um drug use is is there problems around sharing needles or or anything like that within the chemsex world. Yeah, so while most people might ingest G through liquid form, um, more and more people who are engaging in chemsex are also using crystal meth, and more and more of those are injecting crystal meth, and in a lot of cases they're sharing needles, um, increasing risk of HIV transmission, hepatitis C, things like that. And also, obviously, when people are taking drugs that um, may you know, reduce their inhibitions and um, they're less likely to practice safe sex, basically. So when condoms aren't involved, again, there's an issue with HIV transmission and STI transmission. If we look at Ireland last year, there was a record number of HIV cases, 531. Obviously, that's not all down to G by any amount, but um, G and chemsex are a factor there. It's an incredibly complex issue, kind of taking in so many different areas. What advice um, would you have for somebody who does feel like they are addicted or even if they're just using it and don't feel like they're addicted what what's your kind of reach out point for them again like a lot of things both physically and psychologically may be happening to that individual as their drug use chem use addiction um progresses um like relationships um are affected uh, job performance is affected and people may be relaying to them their concerns whether that person takes that on board or not and um, they may be in complete denial about it but those conversations are important to have um like like the people we're getting um they are the ones that have identified right i need to look at this but there are numbers out there that are probably in denial about it um, and it, that's why it is really important that that information is out there and proper uh information is out there um, so that eventually people will get onto it um, and, and seek support. And Kieran, in terms of um, advice, if people feel like they are with someone who has overdosed, what what are they meant to do? Definitely don't assume that they will sleep it off. Uh, place them in the recovery position to prevent them from um, choking. Uh, call an ambulance uh, as soon as you feel that they have overdosed. Um, and the ambulance 112 and stay with the person until the ambulance arrives. Um, so don't let them take any more drugs in the hope of counteracting the effects of G. And if you know what they've taken, be truthful when the uh, paramedics and the medics uh, ask you. Um, the more that they know, the better that they can help. There's a really important message that is like start slow, go low, you know, and like the kind of harm reduction information out there is like, you know, time your dosing of, of G, that you set almost an alarm on your phone or on your watch or whatever, that you take it at regular intervals rather than we've this kind of concept in Ireland and the UK that we always need to take everything as quickly as possible. And that leads to problems, you know. So that message of start slow, go low or setting your time that you've regular doses dosing um, at a set amount. It's things like that will that on a harm reduction level will help people. Okay, thanks so much guys for explaining all of that to us. 
Thank you for listening to The Explainer. This episode was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. Big thanks to Kiran, Patrick, Orla, and Graham for their contributions. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic. In the meantime, check out some of our other episodes. Last time, and it was a very timely one, we looked at the controversy around the PSC. And also in the back catalogue are episodes about Dominic Cummings, the biggest Brexiteer out there, and the latest from the Drogheda feud. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you and catch you next time.